Well, we are, are now in the fourth week of our series that we're calling Covenant. And uh, man, this four weeks have flown by and I've, had, uh, I've really enjoyed uh, the teaching. Um, how many of you um, uh, had never heard of Angry Birds last week and maybe you went out and bought it? Anybody? I heard of one story that somebody went out and bought Angry Birds last week and that made me so happy. So happy. And I said, I'm happy to pay you that dollar uh, because I know that you'll be enjoying it for, for days, months, and maybe years to come. So, um, so let me kind of give you an idea of where we've been so far in the Covenant series and uh, kind of set us up for where we're going today. We started our Covenant series by looking at uh, Genesis chapter 15, where God makes a promise to Abram, Abraham, later to be known as Abraham, uh, that he would be blessed and that he would have descendants that outnumber the stars and the sands of the sea, and, uh, but he, that he would also take possession of a land. And when it came to the promise of, of having uh, descendants that are as numerous as the stars, Abram believed him. But when it came to the possession of the land, Abram said, how can I know, how can I be certain that in fact my people will inherit this land? And God's response to him is, go and get a heifer, which is covenant language. It was, it was a way of saying, let me prove it to you because I'm about to enter into covenant with you. And so it's, it's, I'm going to go beyond just making you a promise that is in my every resource to accomplish. I'm going to actually enter into a binding relationship with you. And so what we learned in the very first week as a foundation is that God is relational, that he loves you, that he wants to be in relationship with you. He doesn't just want to be uh, this sort of absent force in your life. He wants to be involved, and indeed he is involved, and he's a relational God, and he loves you. Now, we also talked about this idea of covenant uh, it implies this meaningful relationship. Uh, so it's different from a contract that's just a, a piece of paper with outlines and expectations and all this kind of stuff. We learned that a covenant implies meaningful relationship, that the two people entering into covenant together are, are not just in a business agreement together, they're in relationship with one another. So we learned that God is relational. In the second week, we looked at the steps of the covenant, that uh, just like you in, in this modern culture, when people enter into the covenant of marriage, there are steps in the wedding that we can all kind of expect to come and, and see. In the same way as these folks entered into covenant with one another, they had to walk through some steps um, of, of solidifying that covenant. And as we looked at those steps, what we find is that in the New Testament, Jesus Christ walks through every single one of those steps in order to be in relationship or in covenant with you and I. That the work is already, already done in the covenant with Jesus Christ. You and I, our only role and our only uh, response is in fact to respond to all that God has done. Uh, that's all that we can do. We can't solidify the covenant on our end or in our own resources or in our own power. We simply respond to all that Christ has done for us as he has walked through that covenant. Um, and then in the last week, we talked about angry birds. And uh, we, we looked at this idea that a lot of times uh, when it comes to the seventh step of the covenant, which is the pronouncement of blessings and curses, we find in Scripture that, that oftentimes when... 
um, someone is being pronounced upon as a, as a coming curse if they don't repent and churn of their, of their disobedience, we find this talk about birds and how the birds are trying to swoop down and there's nothing really to frighten the birds away. And what we realize is that in our lives, as we walk in covenant with God or as we seek to walk with Him and get to know Him, that the seeds of God that is plant, are planted in our life uh, are, are going to be subject to angry birds that will try to swoop down and steal those away. Right? And, we, and we looked at the parable of the sower who is sowing seeds. And in fact, when Jesus tells that parable, he says birds come and they, after that seed has just been planted, the birds come and they take it away. And uh, so we just realized and we recognized uh, that the, the reality of an enemy of your life, uh, that there is someone who is trying to steal the work of God in your life. Now, what I don't want to come away from last week is that we're looking behind every bush for the enemy. Uh, I'm not looking for us to be neurotic about this. I'm simply wanting us to be aware that the, there is an enemy of our life. And sometimes I think we give the enemy too much credit. Uh, that, uh, you know, I couldn't find a parking spot, the devil's after me, right? That's, that's just a little bit neurotic. But it's, it's a way of just simply recognizing that, in fact, there's an enemy in our life trying to steal away the seed of God. Uh, so um, some really important stuff. Now, what I want to do today... Um, is I want to talk to you about living in the covenant. Uh, because what we've done so far is we've really kind of established covenant. We've, we've covered a lot of ground that I feel like are kind of establishments. And I want to talk to you today about what does it look like and, and what is one way of what it looks like to live inside of this covenant and live a sort of, of covenant lifestyle uh, with God. And uh, what I'm going to be sharing to you, with you today is something that God is just, is just kind of stirring in my heart. I don't have a perfect handle on it, uh, but I, I feel like it's really, really important, and I would love to share it with you today. And then next, uh, next week, what we're going to do is uh, the message is entitled The Final Step. Uh, because there are 10 steps to the covenant-making ceremony. And on the second week of this series, I only shared with you nine of those. So on the final week of the series, we're going to be talking about the final step of the covenant-making ceremony. And uh, I promise you it will blow you away. It will absolutely blow you away. But that's for next week. What I want to talk to you today about is living in the covenant. Now, um, What we have to learn and what we have to realize is that the Genesis story in so many ways is very powerful because it sets up for us the way that things are supposed to be, right? We have a couple of chapters of of, of in the very beginning of how God establishes and sets up his creation. And so when we look at these first few verses and chapters of Genesis, it is rich with meaning of being able to demonstrate and show for us how things are intended to be. And what one of the things that comes out of that is in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. You don't have to turn there. We're going to our, our text for this morning is going to be different, but I just want to give this as a sort of framework uh, to to jump start us uh, in talking about how living in the covenant. Because one of the things that we have to learn about the covenant is the authority of the covenant in our lives. That if we're going to live in covenant with Christ and we're going to live as covenant partners, then we have to have a really good handle on the authority that the covenant has in our lives. And we get a really good framework for that from Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 that says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule. 
So they may have some passages or some translations say they have, may have dominion. So that they may rule or they may have dominion over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, all the creatures that move along the ground. And so right at the very beginning, God sets for Adam and Eve. Then he places them in authority. He gives them dominion. He lets them rule over the earth. Now, a lot of times when we think about authority, we think about that, that we are the, the end all if we are the ones with authority. But what authority actually means is that we are put in charge of something that isn't ours to begin with. Okay, And so when we talk about this, this idea, in fact, the same word is used here, is later used as the word stewardship. And of course, stewardship is to steward or to manage over something. And a lot of times when we use stewardship in the church, all of you grab your wallets because you think we're going to start a building campaign, right? Oh, we're having a stewardship drive. And usually that doesn't mean anything about managing our money well. It means that we want your money for a particular purpose, right? Those of you that grew up in the church know what I'm talking about. But the word steward actually means a manager, an overseer, someone that's in charge. And so what happens in Genesis is that the earth does not belong to Adam and Eve. They are simply given dominion or authority over it for them to manage and to care for and to steward well, right? This is why uh, the church ought not to churn their heads against the the movements of of being green. Now, I know that you're not supposed to talk about being green in 2011 because it was one of the the banned words for this year. It was way too overused in 2010. Maybe you guys didn't see that news article, but apparently you're not supposed to talk about being green, okay? But we are, this is why the church should not say, oh, fooey on all of that. That's new agey, that's whatever, whatever, whatever. The church actually should have been and ought to be like moving that movement forward. Um, and because we are called to be stewards over the earth. We're, giving author- we're given authority over that. Um, in other words, if your friend lets you borrow his brand new car, you would drive it differently than you drove your car, right? Because you've been given authority over it, but you realize that it isn't yours. Once you get the keys, you have the authority over that car because you're the only one that can start it, but you would drive it differently because it's not yours. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the setting that we have. Now, what happens later on in Genesis chapter 3 is that Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent in the garden, right? And so the the word of God has spoken. It's created all that is. Uh, God has given, spoken authority and give them authority over all that that is in the earth in order to care for it and steward it. And then the serpent comes along and tries to, disregard the word of the Lord. And and the serpent says, did God really say this? And in that moment, what Adam and Eve could have realized is that they have been given authority to say in the name of Jesus, yes, he did say that. They had every bit of authority that had already been given to them. But what happened is they they gave that authority away. Adam and Eve, in eating the fruit and believing the serpent, gave, the, gave that authority away to the enemy in the garden. And, and so, as a result, of course, all of humanity was brought under the, the curse of sin, right? All of humanity was brought under the curse of sin as a result of that. The good news is, then, 
this is a lot of foundation, I understand. But the good news is then if it is after authority, follow me, after authority had been given to Adam and Eve, and then they had given it up through disobedience to God, even though they had the authority to withstand the enemy, then God has a plan and that the, the, he would regain authority this time through his son, Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Right? So authority is lost, but it is then regained in the person of Jesus Christ. Now that's the foundation that I want for us. Turn with me in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 5 through 13. And for what I hope will be uh, some really encouraging words for you as you and I seek to live in authority with the covenant that Christ has fulfilled on our behalf. It says this, Mark chapter 8, uh, verses 5 through 13. It says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus said to him, I will go and I will heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. This is the ancient equivalent to if I tell you to jump, you say how high, right? That's what my dad used to say to me. When I say jump, you say how high. Yes, Matthew chapter 8. Very good. Matthew chapter 8. Thank you. I'm in the right place. I don't know about all of you. I'm where I'm supposed to be. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Chris, for pointing that out. So Matthew chapter 8. Now, let me continue with verse 10. When Jesus heard this... He was astonished, and he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have found no one in Israel with such great faith. And I say to many will come from east and west, and I will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. At that very hour. Now, the first question comes is, what in the world is a centurion, right? A centurion in this culture is, an, is a, obviously, it's a military term. And uh, it's a military official that would, be, would have been in charge of roughly about 100 people. And so a centurion is someone that has, indeed, has authority as he states in the story. And what's really important is that when, when the centurion is talking to Jesus, and he says that, that I am under authority and I have soldiers under me. What I would expect it to say, and I read this a few times, and I thought, shouldn't it say, shouldn't the centurion say, I am a man who has authority and I have people under me? But instead he says, I am a man under authority and I have these folks under me. Now maybe that question didn't come up as we were reading it, particularly because you weren't in the right spot, but maybe that question didn't come up for you, but as I read it, I thought this 
you know, I'm going to check another translation. So I checked and I checked and I checked. And translation after translation says this man is saying, I am under authority and I have soldiers under me. And what's really important, again, is that we understand this concept of authority. The authority is not being the end all. It's being put in charge of something that isn't ours to begin with. That we've been placed under stewardship. We've been placed as the dominion over this area. And so when he says that he's under authority and then he says to his soldiers, go, it means that he He's getting his instructions from someone else. He's a man under authority, being given instructions to tell his soldiers to go. And since they are under authority, under his authority, then they will obey. Does that make sense? It's a chain of authority that goes on. And what Jesus, what he tells Jesus essentially is, I myself am a man under authority and I have folks under me. In other words, this person, this centurion, realizes that Christ has been given authority by God. That Christ himself is under the authority of the Father just as he is under the authority of, of his official. Does that make sense? And so he's recognizing the authority of God that has been given to Christ. It's a pretty powerful picture when we begin to understand the language that's happening here. And so he says, uh, he says that, that, that this, he's recognizing Jesus has been given authority from God. And I want, I want to say this to you today. That as we understand the authority of Christ given to him by God the Father, it enables our faith. If you and I were simply just to get a handle on the authority that Christ has and really believe it, then our faith would be empowered. In fact, that's... Listen how this thing plays out. Listen how this thing plays out. The centurion is so confident in the authority of Christ that he says, you don't even need to go to my house. And in fact, I'm not even worthy to have you in my house. But Jesus, if you will just say the word, my servant will be healed. I mean, this centurion had a really strong grasp on the authority that Jesus Christ has given to him by God. Does that make sense? And so the message then for us is that we need to begin to learn and grasp and in fact grapple with this incredible authority given to Christ by God. And then as, that, as, as covenant partners with Christ, we also have that authority through him. It's not our own authority. It's not our own resources. But you and I need to recognize that we have incredible authority in Christ. Just as we are made righteous in Christ, we also have incredible authority in Christ. Because if you remember from week two, the steps of the covenant was that all the strength of the Christ, my covenant partner, is made available to me. And so if, if God in Christ has been entrusted and given authority over all things, then you and I, by calling on the name of Jesus, also display that same authority. And that's precisely what the centurion does here. As he says, I recognize that you have incredible authority because you are Jesus, the Son of God, and you don't even need to be there to heal my servant. You can just say the word and it will be done. Now what? 
And then Jesus' response is, I've never seen faith like this. Why would that faith be so incredible? It's because he recognizes the authority of Jesus Christ and allows that to empower his faith into great faith. Does that make sense? What I want to say to you today is that with him all things are possible. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going to be going through in a week, a month, or a year. But I want you to know today that as a covenant partner with Christ, as we walk with faith in Christ as his covenant partner, all things are possible through him. And if we would believe in the authority that God has given Jesus Christ, God the Father has given his son over all things, and then all that strength and those resources are made available to us, not for our own good and not to pat ourselves on the back, but for us to work in Christ and through Christ. And all as as God is working in us, he's working through us. As we believe on him and have the authority that all things are possible through him. That relationship that's broken. Under the authority of Jesus Christ, that relationship can heal. But I also understand that sometimes we're in broken relationships where the other person doesn't want anything to do with walking in covenant with Jesus Christ. So I would say to you today that if, if, you, if that relationship can't reconcile because of them, then I would say to you today that based on the authority of Christ, you can overcome that broken relationship. You can heal from it. You can find peace from it. God can work in you through it. The incredible authority of Christ makes all things possible through him, regardless of what we face in this life. And that's what we need to get a hold of. That's what we need to grapple with. That's what we need to begin to believe and understand on this truth of the covenant. Because if we can get a grasp of that, then our faith will be emboldened and it will grow as we call upon the name of Christ, our covenant partner. It's within his reach to to heal, to reconcile, to restore whatever you're going through right now. And I, I, I promise you there is nothing outside the authority of Jesus Christ because all the resources of heaven are available to you right now because God in Christ has made a covenant with you and he has promised that all that is his is yours. So the centurion understands authority and therefore, he then he, his faith is emboldened. There's this connection between the recognition of authority and faith. And that's the message that I want to get across to you today. Now, but it's also really significant the way in which this centurion understands the authority of God. And the authority of, of God given to Christ. Because he says, I mean, it would be one thing to believe that Jesus could, go, could in fact go to the house and heal. And oftentimes, Jesus does heal in that way. He lays hands on people. He, he heals through a variety of different means. But this centurion says, you don't even have to be at my house. You don't even have to lay a hand on my servant for him to be healed. All you have to do is say the word. And that's really significant because in Scripture, words play a really important part. Words have this huge role. And by words, I mean words. Spoken words, proclamations of the truth of God have all kinds of, 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 of significance in Scripture. Because with words, the, God creates the world. It's the Scripture, the, the original story, the Genesis story, tells us that, that God 
spoke these things into existence. Let there be light and there was light. Words have this incredible power and authority and role to play in scripture. So with words, God creates the world. With words, Jesus heals. With words, Jesus casts out demons. Words have authority in your life. You remember the old thing when, uh, when you were a kid, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There's never been anything further from the truth. I mean, I could get beat up and heal in a week, right? But one cutting word, and I'm scarred for life sometimes. One cutting word, and I'm scarred for months, maybe years. There have been words said to me um, by, by coaches, by different people over authority in my life that I can quote to you exactly today because they still hurt. So words have this kind of power in our lives way more than our fists do. And we see that same thing in Scripture, that words are used for good, for creation, for casting out demons, for healing. And so what I, would, what I want to say to you today is that there's really tremendous power in the ways that you and I speak. That if, if we're going to live in this covenant that Jesus has, has brought us into and invited us to be a part of, then we have to realize that God is relational, that, that Jesus has sealed it, that there's an enemy that is out for us, but we also have to realize the power of our words. Now this, of course, plays out in a variety of ways, but... One of, the, one of the ways is that we can use our words with one another. Uh, that we can use our words in order to build one another, one another up, to complement each other, to encourage one another, uh, to, to, to set this kind of sure foundation of encouragement. Because when we encourage one another, it's like we, we build people up. We're giving them a, a sure and sure foundation for their walk with Christ. And in fact, that's what the body of Christ should be all about is building each other up, understanding where we're coming from, not in judgment, but in, in concern and understanding. Tell me what's going on. And, and, and let me be an encouragement to you. You can't overcome this. Christ is powerful in your life. There are no, all things are possible with him. You can heal. You can overcome. All of these kinds of words that give a sure foundation of our, of our walk with Christ. But what is built up over months with words, can be destroyed in seconds with another word. And unfortunately, in the church, sometimes gossip is out of control. Sometimes uh, we, we, uh, we just talk about each other. We cut each other down. And, and a lot of times, sarcasm is used. Listen to me. Sarcasm is one of the most dangerous forms of words that you can ever use. Because the reality is that there's truth in every sarcasm. And so while it may come off as light and funny, the reality is, is what, what, what sears the heart is that in some small way you actually meant it to that person. And so listen, for you married folks, I would encourage you, and Amy and I have done this, but I would encourage you, you just delete sarcasm from your marriage because chances are that's beginning to build resentment over time. And so just make a commitment to say no sarcasm. 
Uh, that's not to say we can't joke and have fun, but the joking has to be clean and pure and actually fun because sarcasm is dangerous. And so it's dangerous in the church. And so our words have all kinds of power with one another. But the great news is that they also have all kinds of potential for good in our lives, particularly as it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, in response to the faith of the centurion, Jesus says, you know, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. And then he says something that seems really out of place, right? He talks about that there will be uh, some from the east and the west that will come and they'll sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but then the, uh, then the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out where there's uh, gnashing of teeth, right? And, you're, and, and then it says, and then he was healed at that very hour. And you're like, what's up with like verse 12? You know, where did that come from? And essentially, this is, this is covenant language where Jesus is saying, I've not seen faith in all of Israel. Israel would be those that were inside of this kind of old covenant. And Jesus is busting it wide open. And he's saying that some all the way from the east and from the west, they'll come and they'll dine with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, under the authority and, and, and the work of Jesus Christ, all are brought into the covenant if they will simply respond. Right? And, and then he says, the sons of the kingdom, that is, those, the people of Israel that were given the covenant, the old covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and, and the covenant with Moses, and all these kinds of things, they themselves, who are supposed to be living in the covenant, are the sons of the covenant, the people of the covenant. They will be thrown out if, because they haven't upheld this. They haven't placed their faith in the, in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so it's this kind of covenant language of, of bringing it all together, saying all are invited into this covenant, which means you and I. You and I are also invited to join in this covenant, and we have the authority in Christ. And what I would want to argue with you today is that many times we don't need more faith. We simply need to exercise the faith that we have. And a great way to do that is through words. Is through proclaiming that faith with the spoken word. Because as we've illustrated and, and, and learned already in our lives, words have tremendous, tremendous power. And I would, I think a great way to begin living in this covenant and, and exercising the power of words is to begin, uh, and of course there's lots of things that we could talk about. But one of the things is, is to begin praying Scripture over ourselves and over one another. And again, this just illustrates the truth of how, how important the Word of God is to be in our lives. Of how we've got to prioritize the Word of God because we cannot pray Scripture for people if the Word of God is not in our heart. If it's not in us. And so I, I just want to encourage you today to begin this, this practice of, of prioritizing the Word of God in your life and, and then beginning to pray the Word of God over one another and over yourself and over your own life. I mean, what would happen if we began praying these kinds of things over our lives? May God do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever hope or imagine in this situation according to Ephesians 3.20. 
or, or maybe praying Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 18 over, over folks and, and ourselves. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that you may know him better. Right? Someone trying to make a decision, just pray Ephesians chapter 1 over them. May God give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the incomparably great power for us who believe. Isn't that a phenomenal word to begin to speak and to pray over people? And I'm not talking about weird kind of stuff. I'm just talking about calling on the authority of the spoken word of God and applying it to our lives and praying it over one another and praying it over ourselves. Ephesians chapter 3.20, Ephesians chapter 1, 1 Peter How about praying this over the church and the body of Christ? Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic and love as brothers. Be compassionate and be humble. What a powerful word to pray over the body of Christ and a local body of Christ in in a church. May we all live in harmony with one another. May we be sympathetic. May we love each other as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. How about praying this over someone's marriage? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. This is another great one for the church. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God the Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of the holy ones. And then someone facing a mountain that they feel like they can't climb. Why not pray Luke 18, 27 over them? The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Right? Words have an incredible authority in our lives. And one of the ways, and again, like I mentioned at the very beginning, God is just beginning to stir this in my heart. I don't know what this looks like exactly, and and I don't necessarily do this on a regular basis. This is just something that God is beginning to stir in me, of beginning to pray God's word over people and over ourselves. But how powerful would it be When someone cannot muster the faith on their own. Because let's be honest, you and I sometimes are in places where we want to pray, we can't. Right? We just feel like our, our prayers hit the wall right next to us. Where we find ourselves so broken that yeah, I want to pray, but I don't have the strength to pray. I don't have the words to pray. So what would happen if the church, the body of Christ, began, first of all, knowing each other well enough so that we can actually know when those struggles are happening. And then number two, begin praying the truth and the power of scripture over people and in their lives. What would begin to happen? If we took hold of this covenant truth that in Christ all the authority of heaven has been given to us through him. And begin praying these powerful prayers for one another of praying scriptures. I believe the power of God would be unleashed in in our life as we proclaim his truth over our lives. And so one thing that I'm committing to do and and seeking to do is, is number one, some of you may, is beginning to do this, but, but some of you may be saying, how do I even begin? I mean, I, I can't pray scripture because I, I, haven't, I, don't, I don't know scripture. I haven't cracked my Bible in a week, a month, years. 
then the first step for you of beginning to pray Scripture is begin placing Scripture in your heart. To prioritize the Word of God in your life. Get a Bible reading plan and start doing it. And when you see something that's a great prayer to to pray over people, you underline it. You circle it. You can write in your Bible. (laughs) Right? And, and, and then find somewhere like a, a note card system, uh, some kind of digital system where you're not just underlining it and circling it in your Bible, but you're, you're writing it down and you're saying, you know, I know this person and they could really use this prayer. Or maybe this prayer, uh, this passage is really spoken to me and I need to pray this over my own life. But get some kind of, of system because without a system and a plan, it will never happen. And then begin doing it. Speaking the authority of Christ in our lives. Our, our, our response to God, our words have incredible authority because we're speaking in covenant authority. Remember how we end every prayer in the name of. We're speaking in the name of Jesus because we're calling upon the authority of Christ. So every time that we pray, we're praying in the authority and the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Which means may it be so. In the authority of Jesus Christ, may this be so. May this come to pass according to his will. And I promise you that if you're praying his word, you're praying his will. Right? If you're praying his word, you're praying his will. And how powerful that is and tremendous. Now, remember Jesus says, uh, if we have the faith the size of a, of a mustard seed, we can say to that mountain, move, and it will be moved. Again, just a, an illustration of how powerful words can be. And uh, again, how about proclaiming in our life at a time of decision, God, you're not a God of confusion, uh, so according to your word, may you give me wisdom. And uh, may I have confidence in your timing and of your provision in my life. Powerful stuff. Um, I, I just want to end uh, with a challenge that you would begin doing this. Because there are lots and lots of other ways to live inside the covenant of God. But a great way to start is begin realizing the power of our words to one another. And begin realizing the power of words as we speak the word of God over our lives. And uh, I want to leave you with that. And just challenging challenge you to begin um, implementing that in your life. And I wonder if we could just join in the faith of the centurion that said, if you will just say the word, my servant will be healed. May we realize the authority of Christ. May it enable our faith. And may we begin, begin to speak truth over one another. Let's pray. Thank you.